listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 430. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my tired co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look uh-huh. at Apple TV Plus's new series, Foundation, based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel. But, dude, that's not the story of the day, as we were just saying before we started no, recording. Uh, it is not. Yeah, you guys know we are big Ravens fans. We're not recording on Tuesdays because the Ravens seem to be playing every Monday. It just works out that way. But, <laughs> dude, you got to actually go to the game. Cool. Yeah, yeah, totally lucked out. Uh, well, I shouldn't say lucked out because my my son's neighbor at uh, at Towson University, um, he's an older gentleman. I guess he fell from a ladder and broke his arm, uh, and so I guess Sean had helped him with stuff in the past. So he gave his tickets tonight to to Sean, and Sean, I I was touched that he called me and and offered. Uh, me the ticket it also could have been he just wanted to ride into the stadium and figured giving me the ticket gets him a ride into there so but yeah oh my god just i wouldn't say i can't say it was a great game because for a majority of the game we were very upset and i remember i went to the at halftime i went to the bathroom i'm coming back and while i was gone this colt scored another touchdown and just walking up to my seat you just see the the surly, the rows of surly fans in the stands, and I even said to Sean, "I'm like, man, everyone here is so upset right now. The whole stadium is just like it's like a big downer. I almost wanted to leave. It was just so depressing being there. But of course, they uh, it was quite an end to the game as Lamar Jackson uh, tends to do is uh, pull out some dramatic flourishes, and um, you know that was a knock on him before that he couldn't come from behind, and he's starting to actually, you know." Being able to do that. You no, know, I just love these other teams' fans. And, and I mean, I know every team's fans are, are basically the same, but but this whole, you know, oh, we got beat by a running back who throws the ball. It's like, you know, are you an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. The running back threw for 440 yards. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is that. Um, but anyway, so, uh, well, I'm going to segue into our next segment and, and I'll continue a okay. little bit of uh, Ravens talk there because as I was telling you, you know, we're, we're watching it. And when I say we, I'm watching it on the big screen in, in the family room. My wife's just sitting on the couch, you know, looking at her laptop during the game because she's not a huge football fan, although she's, you know, moderately interested. But anyway, so we get to the third quarter they're down 22 to three. And for those of you that don't know the, the Ravens, this is a team they should beat on paper. And yeah, we know it's paper. It's not that the Colts are terrible or anything, but the Ravens should no, beat the Colts them. are a good team playing at home prime time. And they're just stinking up the joint. And finally I tell my wife, I, I've had it. I, I, I don't care anymore. I, I can't take this. Let's go ahead and watch our show. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. So this is how, pitiful it got for me so the one show we're watching right now and and i always see the the phrase guilty pleasure attached to it if i look it up on the internet it's on netflix it's a mexican series called the five juanas and it's like these five Mm. women that are like around 30 they discover wanna like j-u-a-n-a like that one yeah they discover they each have the exact same birthmark uh, on their butt, which they of course have to each, you know, show the audience about ten times during the uh, during the series, and right, they Googling this right learn now. that they all have the same father, and it goes from there. So, uh, y- you know, it's I mean, it's enjoyable. I'll just say that. But anyway, so we started watching that after uh, Lucifer, and as I told you, I checked on my laptop a couple times and saw what happened with the game. But the other thing is I completed season two of my Lucifer rewatch. And there's so many shows, as we've talked about, that we want to go back and rewatch. I'm really glad I did Lucifer, and especially since the series just ended and I can, you know, pick up all the little details along the way. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so what are you watching? So I had mentioned last week that I watched the first episode of Ted Lasso. And so I went and I've actually now tonight, actually I'll watch the last episode so far, the last episode of season two. Dave, you got to watch this show. I know neither of us are huge soccer fans, but 
you know, the really the soccer, it's definitely part of it. It's, you know, like you said, it's about an, uh, an American college football coach who's hired to come and coach an English premier soccer team, which of course is a, you know, preposterous basis for it. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's just the Jason Sudeikis is just so great. And I know I said this last week, so I'll try not to be repetitive, but I mean, I've really, really gotten into this show and I'm really enjoying it. And it's like, kind of like maybe up there is like kind of an all time favorite right now. Um, just the, the characters are just so well done, uh, well written, well acted. I think that's really the, the basis of this show is just the, the really great characters and kind of, you know, I, it's not, I don't want to say it's like Cheers because it's not, but it is in the fact that, you know, Cheers didn't depend on like really plot so much or anything like that. The The beating heart of Cheers was always these characters that we, we loved, like they were, you know, like we knew them as real people. And I think that's kind of like the, the beating heart of Ted Lasso as well. So, um, you know, for those of you who... I've got an Apple TV so you can watch Foundation with us. I highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Ted Lasso. Um, easy, quick two-season watch right now. I'm sure they're going to get a third season. They just uh, cleaned up at the Emmys, I believe. So um, can't recommend it highly enough. Top top recommendations for that show. All right. And Apple hasn't established yet how they're going to go about canceling or renewing their popular series. So, as you said, you, you expect to get a season three, and everything I've read points in that direction. So, uh, you know, we shall see. All right. Oh, I'd, I'd also like to update that um, I, I don't seem to be having the problems of buffering anymore with my Apple TV. So, Apple TV, you are you are have been um, given new life. As long as you don't screw with me anymore. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's get to Foundation, Episode 3 of Season 1, The Mathematician's Ghost, written by Olivia Purnell, who was a staff writer on American Gods, directed by Alex Graves. And, dude, he directed The Fringe Pilot. And No way. And we talk about you know, the, the importance of the pilot episode. And I don't know if you remember, I want to say 2012 is when Fringe debuted thereabouts. But if you recall, what happened was the pilot got leaked early. And then, as it turned out, there was a question whether Fox deliberately leaked it to increase buzz surrounding the show. And if that's, in fact, what happened, it, it certainly worked. And that certainly is a great pilot. There's there's no question about mm-hmm. it. Awesome. Um, he also directed a couple episodes of Altered Carbon, and this one aired October 1st, 2021. So in terms of the direction, I mean, certainly the use of flashbacks and flash forwards, and, and this is a case where they really do need to superimpose the a little time stamp so we know when we are uh, in these cases. And we don't often see an entire story covered in 20 25 minutes and then they shift to an entirely different story for the remainder of the episode generally they're you know going back and forth as we've said many times but and then maybe they should have this time yeah yeah and fred points out the pacing of this episode and it it is a little bit slow and and yeah i I guess (laughs) to say the least yeah i mean we're not getting a whole lot of action in the traditional sense in foundation and you know having read the novels i doubt we're going to really see much so yeah, it's more of a the, cer- right it's more of a cerebral yes. uh, approach and and that's okay you know we can- well that being said we know that they're they're going you know obviously they they're departing from the source material and and you have to because it, you know as uh, you know michael said to me last week like Otherwise, it's just people sitting around talking, and that right. does not make for compelling television, you know? Right, and Asimov can be a, a big explainer in his books, and, and certainly there's not a lot of his material that's been brought to the small screen or the big screen, for that matter, but, you know... Yeah, well, that's a good point. Like, like even like when it is like an iRobot, again, another case where like the the material is just... The, the source material is just barely, you know, contributes to the to the movie itself, right? They make this big action movie out of what's not an action 
story. So right now, I guess if you want action these days, go to Squid Game, and that's I, what I'm hearing. Yeah, I haven't checked it out either, but I am definitely going to. I mean, there's so much buzz surrounding it. We get a lot of clarity though in this episode, and while it's probably the weakest of the three so far, and you're going to say probably. Uh, it, it was still a I'd good. Let it go. Yeah, <laughs> we, we do get a lot of clarity on things, certainly regarding Demersals. Although it it sounded like Dusk was pronouncing it Demersal, almost like it was yeah, E M R. But yeah, that's not the way they're spelling the, the, it. The the accent, I think they do with the accent that first uh, yeah. syllable. Yeah, I like. I, I like the way he pronounces it better <laughs> than I. But we get a sense of her timeline and her role also, but we still don't know who or why the others like her were killed. You know, we, we certainly get a an inkling from Dusk in his conversation with her wondering how the Empire is going to treat you, you know, not, not so much, you know, how you treat them or, or you know, uh, and, and we certainly get a sense of the robot wars and, you know, w- whether this is, uh, you know, like a Skynet kind of thing, we don't know yet, but certainly it's it's hovering there in the background. But we also get some clarity on the progression of the Empire and, and we see Dusk reaching the end. And we talked either last week or the week before that it, it almost feels like we're going to get a finite death date. And I, I kind of got that sense, didn't you? That this was all yeah, predetermined? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, while he certainly was old, he didn't look like he was infirm or, you know, um, unable to, to, you know, like he wasn't you know bedridden or anything like that. So, yeah, it seems like that there is this time, and I, I guess once, it might even be once they decide to cook up a new baby, that once it's done, then it's time for the old one to 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 beat it. Yeah, and I'm guessing there's a specific timeline already in place that, you know, at, at this year, this is what occurs. And, you know, we even get that great scene when, when she finds him in the incubation room or whatever you want to call it and tells him, you know, the rules you're not supposed to be in here. And, and I, I was really struck by her manner towards him. And, and I guess somebody might say, well, I mean, she's an AI, she works for him, but you know, it doesn't really seem that way. You know what I mean? It's almost as if she's an equal partner in this situation you know, of the Cleons. Well, well, right. And we, we mentioned that there, you know, for young brother Dawn last episode, how there was, you know, we can't deny that there was some sexual energy between, I know you're saying gross, he's just a little kid, but you know, it's that maybe it's a Oedipal thing, but you know, there is something there Beyond just this, I'm not saying he's having sex with them or so. I'm just saying that that there is more to that relationship than just you know you're my AI caretaker or something. Well, well, yeah, because I mean, certainly these figures have been decanted to use you know the Brave New World phrase. And I like how you did that. And she's certainly a mother figure on one level and the father figure already exists although it's probably more fair or is it to say is it's like an older brother but not really but regardless it's got that male influence already in place and she provides the female influence sure. so whether you want to call it mother father it really doesn't matter but it it, it Creates more like balance. anima animus, sure, you know, something like that, sure, and it creates that balance. So you know, her importance to the lineage, I think, really is driven home in this episode. And I, I guess it's been going on four hundred years. That that's the the time frame we're given. I, I guess we keep hearing about well, the empire survived for twelve thousand years, so. It's only survived 400 years with the Cleons then. 
So 11,600 yeah, years, it survived doing it the old-fashioned way, I guess. Well, and also, as we said before, you know, the under the Cleons, it's only 400 years because we're seeing the empire in decline here. Right, exactly. Right. And, you know, again, we don't know what was going on at that point when Cleon the first makes that decision and and you know we're, we're going to go over to this this newer method but uh you know it, it's a cool scene when when she, she engages with cleon the first and and you know her willingness to carry on after his death and and you know that that great scene as i mentioned whether uh, he wonders whether the empire is going to be loyal to her and, and i guess that's probably a pretty big question you wonder do people know what an important role she plays in you know the uh, the empire? And that's a good question because we don't really see much of an inner council or anything like that outside of dawn, day, and dusk. So right, you know that'll be interesting to see. But the other thing that really strikes me about her relationship with with them is. He's concerned that he's going to be forgotten. And obviously that's an emo- emotion that I want to say all humans, probably most humans, um, you know, feel, you know, as they approach death. And I hope there's something that I'm going to be remembered for, even if it's only by a few people or whatever. And 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 she reassures him that, yes, I remember everything, she tells him. You know, it's it's a lot more sensitive than that because, you know, while maybe that's the way it came out of her mouth, I think, you know, we know that there is that deep connection that she has with mm-hmm. them and that, that it goes beyond AI to human and or AI to clone even. So, although I... Right. Well, she says, you know, like, you always leave me, right? Yeah. Like, um, like that she is, she is emotionally impacted and, you know, we know... From the previous episode, which she talked to Dawn about how, you know, like her ways of, you know, being more human or acting more human. So, yeah, there's, there's, like you said, there's a lot more to Demersal than, than meets the eye. Yeah. I mean, she has meets to, the AI. Yeah. Nice. Oh. Uh, so she has to go through this, what, every 30 years or so, roughly, you know, as, uh, you know, day becomes dusk and dawn becomes day. And and that's also something that's really driven home in this episode that, okay, the same actors are now playing different characters. Right. Which is absolutely cool. And, and you know, we've got a, I guess, a 19 or 20-year-old uh, dawn now at this point. So, again, we don't know at what age – you know, the next transition is made, but, you know, certainly we've got, uh, by the end of this segment, we've got an infant and now we're, we're down to three again. Once, uh, what it was brother darkness, darkness. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that was, what uh, this was an almost unbearably slow, uh, part of, of the, the show. Like it was just, I'm like, why are they still banging on about this? You know, cause I think it's just, kind of going over the same theme it was kind of neat to see a lot some of this stuff but i just felt like it maybe could have been cut down like a lot but one thing that i thought was kind of cool was how as you said you know like everyone kind of moves up a notch right so like the the actor who was like i can't guy's name who was previously who was day was very lee pace right who's very arrogant hot-headed Ozymandias type character. Now it seems like much more empathetic and sympathetic in the, you know, now that what previously was the young brother Dawn. Now here he's a, he is a complete, not, I shouldn't say completely different, but he is very different from, you know, the, the previous incarnation of day that, that we saw. So, you know, I, I guess I have to backtrack, and, and Fred will bring this up a little bit, so maybe we'll talk about that more then. But, you know, I, I had said before, it seems like, you know, they're all the same, and they're raised the same, and that they're... But we we clearly see that there are some at least minor distinctions 
between them. Right. And and you think logically that that would occur with each succeeding generation. So eventually, you know, enough minor changes suddenly become fairly major changes. And, and perhaps that's what uh, leads to the empire's downfall. You know, there's some lines in this one, not cringeworthy, but kind of to, to address what you just said about, you know, the slow pace and almost showing us the obvious strange watching yourself being born. Well, okay, we get that idea, but we also have kind of gotten that whole sense throughout this episode idea that we said that that they're always leaving her at some point. It's something that she's got to, you know, cope with time and time again. Um, I mean, I I don't know. It, It just seems like they all have this, this, well, I should say they all, we've really only seen the one, uh, at the end, almost this realization that some aspects of my life I just wasted and that had I had the opportunity to go back and do things somewhat differently, maybe I would. And, you know, that that line where he says, am I enough? And she just says, sweet brother, you are enough. And I guess it seems as if what they're trying to show us in, in this episode, we go back to the beginning and, and, you know, when they show that, that huge colossal image of who we knew to be brother day in the first episode, wearing that blue uh, suit that's partially armored and, and, uh, and all of that. And he's, you know, this hologram is, is towering over everything. And I think they refer to him as our first brother, and I guess that would be the first clone once he grew up. And yeah. and almost as if there's something iconic about that brother, which I, I guess on the one level you understand. I mean, they sort of have the same kind of reverence for, for Cleon the first as well, but the, but the first brother. And, and I guess it also makes sense because – while it maybe looked good on paper, they didn't really know how it would play out in reality. And and I guess if if he had not been successful in his role as Cleon the Second, then you know everything, everything would have fallen apart. I guess so. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. True. Um, well, like you know, I just kind of backtrack to you had said about um, wanting to have made a mark and to be remembered and. For you know now, brother Darkness. You know he spent all this time working on this this mural, right? That we see him um, looks like a very painstaking process of of painting it. And then after he's gone, they just paint over it. So it's it's like you know like uh, so much you know your your life's work almost this this project that you were passionate about. Like as soon as you're gone, it's gone. You know so. Yeah, that was a little that that scene. Are you talking about the one where it, it's actually Cleon the Fourteenth, who who is Brother Dawn, but he's now like seventeen years old. Yes. Yeah, and, and and he says, "I've outgrown it." See, I guess I wondered whether this was something he worked on, you know, from when he was old enough to work on it to now or whether it was as you're kind of saying that that maybe one of his brothers painted it i mean we don't you know we don't necessarily get a sense of how these how the murals work well i I thought i wasn't positive i thought it was the one that we saw brother dusk working on last episode okay and i guess because that first scene we see that guy who's actually repairing it or or what do they call it with art not not reconditioning it that's not the right word i can't think of the you know the word but you know he he, he's cleaning it or whatever so i i guess i thought maybe that's what brother dusk was doing as well but but you're saying he was actually you know painting 
anew, and and you're probably I, right. I think so. Okay, okay. So, I'm not positive. I, it's just it's, that's the impression. But, I but as you, I, I think your point is that you know wh- where we see Brother Dusk wondering whether he's going to be remembered or not, and here's something that he created, and you're just erasing it. So yeah, and so it's almost as if. Does the next in line have to do that? Is this something that occurs cyclically? Don't I mean we don't know at this point, but well, I think it's just kind of like I, I felt like he was making this comment of you know like he was so concerned about being remembered and and leaving a legacy, and then the, there is no legacy, right? He is just one of a number of clones. Yeah, and, and, and you know, there's nothing that sticks out about him nothing that makes him special nothing that makes him remembered any more than being one of a long line of clones okay now since you're the voiceover expert the voiceovers we hear Uh is that gale or is it salvor i i I think it's gale because she has like an english accent yeah that's that's what i thought And, and the one phrase that that sticks in my mind ghosts of the past are always with us so even though you know we get a sense that that she's talking about something to do with the colonists on terminus it certainly applies to the cleons as well to be alive is to know ghosts so you wonder you know in any kind of a royal succession you want to make your mark or do you right ordinarily that's what we would see here on earth with human uh, members of royalty that that you want to take what your father did and you want to build on it you want to make it better i i, I you know i want to be my own man or if, if it's a queen my own woman and, and is that kind of surfacing here or is it like we kind of said is it just something that they just keep doing the same thing with each generation train them the same way yeah that's a good point because obviously it's a very human compunction to want to do your own thing and make your own mark and everything but everything about the the empires and you know cleon is for stuff to remain the same and everything to be done the way it's always been done before so that nothing changes and so um, I guess they're you know the 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 emperors themselves struggle with that a little bit that they need to find ways to express their individuality because in reality there there really is no individuality that that they are just placeholders I guess or just kind of you know playing the role that they've been intended to play since for years and years now yeah and i guess we have to ask and wonder whether that's what contributes to the empire's downfall or if it's just simply a natural extension of any empire that's been in place for in this case four centuries so uh all right anything else about the empire and the storyline there before we head down to terminus no i don't think so okay you know, well, except for it's kind of gross to take the ashes of the dude who just was zapped and wiped on the head of a baby. Yeah. I feel that's not really sanitary practice there. Yeah. I mean, obviously ceremonial and, and, and you know, we hear, you know, little bits of their ceremony in, in terms of uh, things they recite when, when certain things happen. But, yeah, that was a little that was a little odd. I almost was expecting her to go in with a uh, you know little dustpan and a brush and yeah, I was like saying pull out the dustbuster right. That'd been hilarious. Yeah, but uh, all right. Well, life on Terminus. You know, I, I don't want to say everything we we encountered with the Empire story was straightforward, but I think compared to what's going on in Terminus, it it kind of is. And you know, we get that voiceover at the very beginning that the Empire underestimated Harry. And, okay, fine. We we knew that he wanted this to happen, that maybe he didn't expect to make it to Terminus himself, that, you know, this is, this is what he expected. And that line, every aspect of their arrival was predetermined. So now we go back to the, you know, free will question and how much free will do these people actually have? You know, I I don't know. 
you know. But right. but we, we do get the scene where they first. Well, you do know because you read the book. Well, so yeah, you, yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah but in, in, in the context of a show, we don't know, but we right. strongly suspect very little. Right. But we get the scene where they first encounter the vault and, and everybody passes out. And uh, I, I really like the way they uh, parcel out Salvor's story and her relationship to her mother and father, because, you know, that, that first scene when you know, she, she's meeting with the guy that we're, we're like, okay, I'll bet that's her father. And then of course, you know, yeah, I forget one of them says something to indicate. I think he refers to her as his daughter, but she tells him that she wanted to tell him first about what she's discovered about the null field. So is the mother, is she in charge? I mean, I guess I don't know why, she went to her father first. I mean, is it, was it like maybe something that she thought her mother would discount and that she wanted to kind of, you know, lay it out to see how her father reacts. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to, to share something with someone, but you want someone that can keep it on the DL, you got to go to dad. Yeah. But, but <laughs> she's going to mom. I mean, you know, she just says, yeah. I want to tell you first. And, I mean, she seems to have well, a fine little girls and their daddies. Uh, yeah, you know, I, guess so. right. I, I guess so. I guess so because I mean, she <laughs> does seem to have a fine relationship with her mother. Uh, what yeah, absolutely see that she understands her mother's role and and, and uh, you know, in fact, she's given two opportunities in this episode to leave and, and get the hell out of Dodge with a man. I you know, I don't want to say she's in love with Hugo, but but she certainly has a. A relationship with him and and the two of them seem to really care for each other and and she says i i can't i have obligations and he says well, yeah but they were thrust upon you and she's like yeah nevertheless i have them yeah. so you know that that need to take care of the colonists and, and we see the the naivety of so many of these colonists especially the one guy it's like well, we just need to call the empire and, and, you know, they'll come yeah. and help us. It's like, uh-huh. everybody's looking at him like, dude, <laughs> okay. I, I won't say anything about the book. I, I want to say something about the book here. I said I wouldn't, so I won't, but you know, like clearly there is a, a schism here, right? Between the, the encyclopedists, uh, the people who are there and like the younger generation like salvor well actually we don't really see i guess we only see hugo as like but and, and he's not necessarily from terminus so but you know if we think salvor salvor kind of being representative of those maybe first gen uh terminus babies you know sees the world differently she's not as enamored or wrapped up in the world of of harry selden as fred points out that who has kind of become taking almost a, a godlike stature now well right and that's certainly one of the questions that that comes up in this episode whether or not you know the these settlers see him in that regard i mean certainly he's murdered on the trip there we don't really know what happens in the interim we, we just see uh, you know, the, yeah, I don't see Raish on Terminus. Though. No, we don't at this point. So, is that it for him? We, you know, we certainly don't know. But when when we find out that there are three Anacreon gunships in orbit above Terminus, even though it's supposed to be off limits, and and you know, of course, some of them, well, they, you know, they know they can't land. They know it's like, okay, fine, yeah, they know they can't. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean they won't. And you heard the word war, warship, right? Yeah, you did hear that and. and Salvor goes to the armory and I forget who it is that says, you know, what are you doing? I'd like to know what kind of violence we can muster. And I'm thinking like, God, that's a perfect line for Firefly. And Uh, right. (laughs) So, but still it speaks to her willingness to do whatever it takes because she's a wise individual. She understands that anything they have there will pale by comparison to what the Anacreon gunships have. But still, 
I, I think her mother says, well, we have a couple axes lying around or something. Like, we have a shovel. <laughs> yeah. So. See how that works. Yeah, right. The other thing that, that comes up in this episode is, relates to Salvor herself. And we certainly got a sense in that first episode that she's able to get closer to the vault than anybody else. Did I mishear right. or is she able to actually go right up to it with no Ill, Ill effect? Yeah. Yeah. She's right. She can go right, right up to the vault. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And she has no, it, it, the, the null field doesn't impact her at all. Right. So it's brought up the fact that her parents are keeping that a secret from the other settlers. And on the one hand, it's easy to say, well, why? On the other hand, you know, I mean, I think we have enough experience in human thought and, and especially in this kind of a situation that somebody might see that she has an unfair advantage, that then her parents have an advantage because she's their daughter and, and maybe we better do something. So you certainly understand why they want to keep that a secret. But the other- well, Sure, and, and, and well, also in that way is that she's kind of like, she reminded me a lot of, of Gail in episode one, you know, someone who is an anomaly and therefore an outcast and- the society of, of Gail's world, um, even though you know we, we know it's much more different than the rest of the Empire, but still the people are people, right? And people still tend to distrust those who are different. And so I guess that's probably a big reason why they want to keep um, Salvor's ability um, hidden. Yeah, and one of the council members refers to her as an outlier so i guess we get the sense that what they know is that she has gone uh, farther than anybody else but they probably don't know that she can go all the way up to the vault but just that that thematic idea that you were just touching on there that whole idea and she says it to her mother different isn't the same as special and right. I, I mean, certainly we're meant to alert to the fact that there's something about Salvor beyond the fact that she is the protector, you know, of the colony. So whether it's some sort of a genetic anomaly, we, you know, we don't know that seems to be, you know, you know, where we're headed here, but whatever it is, I, I guess we'll see. You know, in, in the book, she's the mayor, I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah, she's a he, and, right. and yeah, like he's basically the the leader of Terminus, and you know, but there's the, like the two factions of the encyclopedist and and the um, the 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 common people, right? The regular people of Terminus, right? So, so now the you know the big conflict that's hanging over. You know the series at, at this point, and certainly hanging over the colonists, is what are these three gunships going to do that that they can make landfall within forty hours? So you know, less than two days. What's going to happen? And the scene that leads us into the the finale here, I'm still not exactly clear what it is I saw because you know Salvor's in bed with Hugo wakes up, you know, senses something's amiss. And it was a great scene. He says, well, should I get up and put my pants on? And she's like, no, no pants for the next 25 hours. But she goes out to walk the perimeter and she sees that. I'm not sure if it was a boy or a girl, but um, I think we're meant to think it's one of the colonists children that goes into the husk of the ship that that apparently as she said is off limits you know they have a a curfew but then when it happens a second time it's almost like that figure is leading her into a trap right so is this and then i keep going back to the whole idea about ghosts and and i don't want to get too far off into the supernatural because we don't really necessarily have any evidence of supernatural 
activity going on in foundation no. at this point. So, well, who, especially with the the preponderance of science, in right. I don't I don't think we're going to see any supernatural. Right. So, stuff. is this a kid that the Anacreons put down there to lead her into yeah. uh, a trap? I, I mean, as opposed to one of her yeah. own. Yeah, I just I feel like with Salvor, and again, this is probably reading the book has colored this, but it's, you know, like like Salvor is confused and feels like an outcast, but but you know, she, you know how she says, you know, um, different doesn't mean special, but in her case, I think she is special. Like there is something special about her, and I think part of it is going to, of her reaching the status that of you know of of being able to be integrated into society she has to kind of accept who she is and learn to trust herself you know and and you know respond to that iron string that emerson talks about right yeah well i mean it seems as if the vault speaks to her in in whatever form you know we don't understand it quite yet but she certainly got a spidey sense that is alerted in, in different situations. So now the question is, are these Anacreons that have ambushed her? Certainly the bow and arrow is kind of a giveaway because I think in that, in the first episode, when the two emissaries, yeah. one of them, they, yeah, they give him a gift of, of the, the bow. Right. So we assume this is an Anacreon patrol. Now what? Because as, as one of the council members had said earlier, we don't have anything they want, which again might be naive because Harry Seldon has certainly established himself, if if not a godlike figure, certainly a man of importance in, in that he's important enough to scare the Empire into banishing him to Terminus because they felt like he had that much power to bring the Empire down. So... I'm still not sure exactly what they want, but to be that naive seems sort of silly at this point and misguided. But yeah. anyway, uh, what else about uh, life on Terminus here in this episode? Anything? Um, you know, it's it's unusual to think that a life on a distant, desolate planet could be way more interesting than life in the royal court uh, back in the uh, home world, but. Yet here we are. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, I mean the the pace picks up a little bit in this aspect of the story, but still, <laughs> there's not a lot of yeah. not a lot of action here. And, and like we said, I don't think there's going to be a lot of traditional action in Foundation. No, but I mean, there's a possibility of you know we see this kind of stuff coming to a boil with the Anacreon. So maybe next episode we'll get some uh, we'll get some. You know, violence going on or something. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else? Um. No, I don't. I don't think so. No. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season One, Episode Three. Coming back to last week's podcast, we had a discussion about nature and nurture and the fact that the new Cleons were raised by the older ones. So dawn is raised by day and dusk. But I forgot that even Demerzel is also there and you mentioned that. So these Cleons are not only raised by themselves in a middle-aged version and an older version, but even with a kind of android, which is also always there. They don't only have the same genetic makeup, but they also are raised by more or less the same three persons. Nevertheless, they all have different life experiences, but still the nurture part will be quite the same. Okay, going into episode 3. The first 20 minutes of the episodes were all about the succession of the different Cleons. As a geneticist and a 
lover of pedigrees and clones, I found it quite interesting. Although it was quite slow-paced and took almost 20 minutes of the episode, so that was a little long. It also took me a little bit of time to switch, because now the old Brother Dawn is Brother Day and looks exactly like him and wears the same clothes, etc. So you had to switch. What was nice that you saw even four, well, you cannot call it generations at the same time, at the time that Brother Darkness, the fourth one, was going to his death. The honor to Henry is almost like a god, because when they arrive on Terminus and they see the vault for the first time, Abbas says, what in Sheldon's name is that? And later we see even a statue of him. So he has risen to a prophet or something like that. Well, with his prophecies, he perhaps is. I think that is what the word prophet means. I really wondered if Henry knew something about the vault and the null field, and that's why he steered the emperors towards an exile on Terminus. One of the things I was amazed about is that they have quite some aircrafts, or uh, not spaceships, but things with which they can fly around. Were they all on board of the slow ship, or did they build them from the remnants? When that slow ship landed on Terminus and was taken apart for parts, uh, that scene really reminded me of the crash of the Enterprise-D on uh, some planet. Or did they get them from the outside world? Because in this episode it becomes clear that Terminus is not fully isolated. Uh, Selfer's friend Hugo also comes from outside. On the other hand, what could they have to trade for flying ships, etc. Also, these Anacreons come to Terminus and have contact with them, so there is outside world contact, which of course makes it more interesting than just the isolated people on Terminus and the whole thing with the vault. And of course, we can expect that the fact that the people from Terminus cannot connect to the Empire, that the Empire has fallen. Uh, I mean, that's my prediction. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Um, the thing I want to address with, with Fred's feedback, he brings up the the slow ship and and you know how huge it is, and and he brings up the idea that they seem to have a lot of motorized vehicles, and I guess I would go back, Fred, that the ship is so freaking huge. And I'm sure they plan to have a bunch of these smaller vehicles in storage for once they they got to the planet. So that's what I assume uh, happened. And and the other thing yeah. with, with Hugo, he establishes the fact that they're not isolated. Maybe they're isolated right. from you know the home world, but you know they they do trade with other planets and of course fred brings up well what do they have to trade and that's certainly a good question yeah that, that well uh, you know maybe stuff on the ship i mean if, if harry is uh you know predicting all this stuff he would make sure that they have stuff they can trade right no or maybe they make termian termian vodka or something like that yeah or, right right could yeah, be could yeah. be so anyway yeah, um, or some you know termian chiba or something like that yeah all right, anything else about Fred's feedback? Um, I like how he says quite so slow-paced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fred, yes, you are, you're right. That's so, um, yeah, I, I think we, we pretty much commented on a lot of the stuff that Fred said, you know, like we kind of incorporated that into the, the discussion, but uh, yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to go just with a straight B, I think, here. Yeah, that's a... Agreed. Okay. Um, you know, I thought B plus and I thought, well, B plus is getting close to A minus. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's certainly a good episode. It, it, it certainly pushes the story forward by giving us more information about the different characters. But the pace is kind of a, a deal breaker when it comes to us, you know, giving it a much higher grade. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go with a straight B and... Uh, you know, we've got 10 episodes, so they, they've got 
a lot of room to maneuver it. You know, again, it's, it's not like say Ragnarok where they only had six. So, right. I think that's a great point, Dave, that we're so used to these, like, I mean, it's so funny to say something less than 10 episodes is like, or like some of 10 episodes is a longer series, but you know, we're used, you know, we see so many of these shorter, uh, like half seasons and things like that, that it's almost like, yeah, like Ragnar, that's a great example. We're used to the idea of you can't waste, not saying they waste this story here, but you can't, you know, you, you've got to like make big strides in your story each episode, right? Yeah. And this one made some strides, but not a ton. Uh, you know, the we're not where we were at the end of the previous episode because it's quite a number of years later, but yet we haven't really moved the story along a whole bunch. Right. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to leave it. And, you know, like, like we said, we've got a lot of foundation ahead, but that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about foundation, Ragnarok, anything going on in your genre world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to discuss episode four of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then, it's uh, you know, it's great you know that once a week you kind of get together and, and talk through this stuff and everything. But you know what? At the end of it, it's just that you always leave me. <laughs>